Almost every fall at Restore, we do a relationship teaching series. Makes sense to us. Uh, summer's over, school is restarted, schedules are re-engaging, and families, if we're not careful, find ourselves needing a little relationship tune-up. Maybe sometimes even a little relationship repair. As we were planning this series, we played with some fun ideas. One that was suggested was how to get people to see things your way. Now, honestly, I would volunteer to write that series because I love trying to get people to see things my way. We even thought about the subtitle of the C4 approach to relationship management. C4 is a reference to four relationship tools that are the wrong tools, and we don't suggest that you use them. But the idea of the series could have gone something like this. Check out this video. The C4 approach to relationship management has completely turned our marriage around. Absolutely, (laughs) so close to just failing, you know? (laughs) All four C's are complete game changers. Convince, coerce, convict, and control. (laughs) If there was a fifth C, it'd be cool. (laughs) Six months ago, I was gonna take a week and a half off from my wedding and honeymoon. The day before I headed out to the resort, Lisa told me that she needed a pitch deck done in a day and a half. And what did I say? You said, looks like you'll need to postpone that wedding. (laughs) I'm single now. My relationship with my son has always been very interesting. He loves acting, but I love football. He's my son, he lives in my house, so he should be playing my favorite sport. The C4 approach to relationships understands that and helps me call all the right plays. I can't wait to try my costume. Uniform. And then go to my audition. Tryouts. Hey, what do you do when you score? You bow. Spike it, son. (laughs) You spike it. Check out the C4 approach to relationships ASAP. You'll learn things like how to shame journal. I started a shame journal myself, and it's just a detailed list of every time that Emily has hurt me or let me down. And now when we have an argument, I just read her a few entries, and before you know it, she sees things my way. I've been journaling since eighth grade. Let me say one more time for everybody, that is not the name of the series, and that is not what we suggest. Those are the wrong relationship tools. But we're going to talk for the next four weeks about some good relationship tools, about some good relationship principles, about the commitments it takes to constantly repair broken relationships, to constantly reassemble relationships. This is a series that was originally done by Andy Stanley at North Point Church in Atlanta. The title is Reassembly Required. There's a lot of truth in that title. Relationships absolutely require reassembly. And this series is kind of a beginner's guide to relationship repair. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about 
What kind of commitments does it take to repair, to reassemble broken, torn apart relationships? So let me ask you this question as we start today. I'm kind of assuming that there are two kinds of people in the room when it comes to putting things together, when it comes to assembling things that come in a box with lots of parts. I'm assuming there's two of us, two kinds. How many of us love instructions? We get something that requires assembly. First thing we do is look for, follow, read. Some of us memorize the instructions. My hand is not up. I'm not in that group. Thank you for those of you who are. How many of you hate instructions? Both hands. I'm in this group. It's just not me. I I always hate it to this day when Mary buys a Christmas or a birthday gift for the kids or the grandkids that requires that you put it together. I, I, I get the shakes just thinking about it. And it will come with this warning on the box that says some assembly required. Now, those three words are Greek for there's 300 pieces and it's going to drive you nuts. It's not some assembly. It's constant assembly. It's tons of assembly. And in relationships, it's reassembly. I remember one particular moment. It was the first swing set we bought for our kids when they were small and we went big. This thing was delivered in three huge boxes. It had 300 different parts and a a pretty thick set of instructions. But I'm a Sutherland and I'm a Sutherland man. And Sutherland men are, 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 we don't need instructions. We don't follow instructions. We don't read instructions. We put stuff together. And I spent hours putting this thing together and it was a disaster. Mary finally looked at me at the end of day one of putting it together and said, I think you might want to take it all apart and start over and follow the instructions. I did. She was right. It worked. Here is the title for our teaching today. The title is simply Instructions Not Included. Instructions Not Included because there are no instructions when it comes to marriage. There are no instructions when it comes to parenting. There are no instructions when it comes to relationships. And since relationships don't come with instructions, do you know what happens? We develop our own set of relationship tools, which many times are the wrong tools. I brought my toolbox and a few tools today that I keep in the garage to fix things when I am forced to and when I can't find my son to get him to do it, although he is amazing and is almost always available. I brought a couple of things to kind of represent the tools we tend to use in relationships that are wrong tools. I brought a pair of pliers because we love to convince people with the pliers of persuasion. Oh, yeah, I'm going to convince you that my way to do this relationship is the right way. I was looking for one of my wrenches, couldn't find it, but I bought a bigger set of pliers that kind of have a wrench tendency. They really will lock down. And I call these the the convictor tools, the guilt tools. I'm going to put enough of a grip on you that you're going to feel bad about what you're doing 
in the relationship. So we often use conviction or we often use convincing or which other words for that are guilt and persuasion. And then I brought one of my favorite tools. This is a vice grip of sorts that also has the ability to measure and cut wire. It's a crazy multi-tool, but man, there are moments when we absolutely coerce people in relationships. Oh, we put a little force in it, a little manipulation. And then there's my favorite tool that I usually start with and finish with because even if a hammer won't fix it, I feel better when I've hit it a few times. And this is the tool that we use of guilt. This is the tool that we use to control relationships. One of the problems we have in relationships is these are all the wrong tools. They're all the wrong tools. Convincing people, which relies on persuasion, that's not the right relationship tool. Or convicting people, which relies on guilt, that's not it. Or coercing people, manipulation. Or controlling people, which relies on power. Before we go any further today, all of you that are listening, we're going to do this online. We're going to do this in all of our, our Sunday morning gathering campuses as well. I want, you, I want to ask you to, to wrestle with this question. Which of these tools do you grab first? Which of those four C's do you tend to go to? Which one is your go-to tool? I can tell you what mine is. I am absolutely a convinced guy. Oh, I will persuade you. I will debate you. I will argue with you. I believe I can get almost anybody to see and agree with my point of view. Billy Graham, evangelist that was loved across America and across the world, used to say, uh, God has a, a plan for you. His actual statement was, God loves you and has a plan for your life. My statement is, God loves you, but I have a plan for your life. I have perverted that. And I use convincing as my number one tool to get people to follow that plan. These are the wrong tools. Convincing, convicting, coercing, controlling are the wrong tools. Instructions not included. Are you getting the point? We don't really have instructions on relationships. We tend to have the wrong tools. Let's get to the truth of today's lesson. Reassembling a broken relationship is a required skill. It is also a learned skill. Oh, that's huge. It's a learned skill. We don't naturally know how to fix broken relationships, how to reassemble broken relationships. In fact, most of us grew up with a, a model of relationship repair that was not a good model, where re reconciliation really didn't happen. I grew up with a dad who was estranged from his sister, my aunt, for 30 plus years. They weren't really close as kids. They weren't really close as young adults. But when they were in their, in their middle years of life, those middle age stretches, my grandmother, their mom, graduated to heaven. And something happened between them in the midst of dealing with that, that pain, that agony. 
they didn't speak for the rest of their lives for 30 plus years. And the model of reconciliation that became commonly known in the Sutherland family was we don't reconcile. We don't reconcile. The model was they mistreated you, just be mad. Just don't speak. Just don't give a rip. Many of us grew up with a model of reconciliation, of repair that did not work. Here's the challenge. If we are Christ followers, reconciliation is a big deal. And even if we're not Christ followers, wouldn't all of our relationships do better if we had a healthy set of tools and a high commitment to reconciliation? Check out this teaching that Jesus does on reconciliation. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over the one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who were righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story of the lost sheep. Even if you didn't grow up in church, there's a good chance you are familiar with this. This shepherd with 100 sheep has one that wanders off and he leaves the 99 and chases the one. Now, that's not what we tend to do. When one of the sheep in our lives wanders off, when somebody walks out of a relationship or walks out of a family or, or walks out of a circle of friends, we think to ourselves, rogue sheep. Or we think to ourselves, bad sheep. Or we think to ourselves, dumb sheep. In fact, they're so rogue, they're so bad, they're so dumb. We're all here. If they figure it out and want to come back and join us, that's cool. But we're not chasing them. We're not pursuing them. They're dumb enough, bad enough, rogue enough to walk away. So be it. But it was not the approach of Jesus. Not even close. Here's how Jesus started. Jesus goes after those who wander away. Another way to say it, Jesus pursues people to reconcile with them. If you walk away from a relationship with Jesus, he looks for you. He walks after you. He doesn't call you bad or dumb or rogue. He doesn't quit on you. In fact, love does not give up. Love pursues reconciliation. That's what love does. Our definition of a Christ follower here at Restore is someone who does what Jesus does and obeys what Jesus teaches. So if that's true, then we have to learn to reconcile, to repair, to 
to pursue those with whom we have broken relationships. Luke 15, which is where that passage of Scripture was from that I read about the hundred sheep, the one that wanders away, Jesus going after him. It's an unusual place in Scripture. In fact, check it out later today. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories back to back to back, all with the same meaning, all on the same subject. Now, I don't know how it worked in your house growing up, but the first time my parents said something to me, I could kind of ignore it. And the second time they said it, it was a little bigger deal. But if they ever called out Danny Ray Sutherland, all three names, that's Southern for boy, you're about to die if you don't get your act together. Then in that moment, I would respond back to back to back. Jesus tells us this. Reconciliation is the operative noun in the Christian life. Reconciliation is the operative word in the Christian faith. The whole Bible tells the story of a God who pursues us, a God who chases us when we have turned our backs on him. In fact, here's the kicker. Our Heavenly Father is not content to simply forgive us. This is huge. If you don't catch anything else today, catch this. He's not content to simply forgive us. He wants to reconcile the relationship with us as well. And when the relationship breaks, he wants to fix it. There are some of us who are thinking right now, well, I've forgiven the person who hurt me. Yeah, I've forgiven the one who walked away. I, I've forgiven the one who broke the relationship. But reconcile? Ha, I'm not doing that. Oh, no, not going there. Forgiveness is half the equation. Reconciliation is the goal. Forgiveness I have to do, but I also want to chase the sheep. I also want to go after those who walk away, who wander off, who leave the safety of the relationships and go out on their own. Even among healthy relationships, there's a constant cycle of forgiveness and reconciliation. My wife and I have been married 46 years. We have been parents 38 years. More importantly, we have been grandparents for 14 years. You know what I've realized? I still blow it. I still need forgiveness. I still need somebody to reconcile with me. I've also learned they still blow it. They still require me to forgive them. And they still require that I go after them in reconciliation. So we're going to talk the next four weeks about four vital commitments we make in order to keep reassembling relationships, in order to keep fixing broken relationships. But as we wrap up this first week today, let me have give you four challenges, four things that I believe matter, four things to wrestle with during this week, if you would. First, 
Reconciliation is not optional if you're a Christ follower. Let me say it plainer than that. You can't follow Jesus and not reconcile with others. Because a Christ follower, again, is somebody who does what Jesus does and obeys what Jesus teaches. And Jesus pursued reconciliation and taught reconciliation. It's not optional for those of us who are Christ followers. Second, please identify this week your natural tendency in relationship repair. Are you a convincer? Got the pliers of persuasion. Are you a convictor? I mean, you're going to really vice down on somebody. Are you more of a coercer? I will control you. Are you absolutely the control freak that hammers away at anything? We all have a natural tendency. By the way, if you don't know what yours is, here's a hint. You probably tend to use the same relational tool, the same wrong relational tool, that your parents used with you because that's where we tend to learn it. Number three, huge. Ask yourself a dangerous question. What is stopping me? Stopping me from reconciliation. Why am I shut down on this? Fear of being hurt again. Fear of vulnerability too stubborn, waiting for them to apologize. Why have I stopped reconciling? And fourthly, and this is just practical, but I really, really mean it. Catch all four weeks of this series. Why? Because there's not an expert on relationship repair in the whole church that is restored. We're all learners. That's why we're calling this a beginner's guide to relationship repair. I've been at relationships a long time. I am still learning. So maybe you need to catch it here in the online gathering space where we are today. If you're part of one of the three campuses in Kansas City, catch it there. If you go back and forth, I don't care where you catch them, but catch all four weeks. This stuff matters because when it comes to relationships, instructions are not included and reassembly is always, always required. It's interesting to me that Jesus tied communion to the same thing we're talking about today. He tied it to reconciliation. He basically said, here are some commitments you got to make to repair relationships. And here are clear instructions about communion. And he basically said to us that the bread that shows us we remember his body that was sacrificed for us. And that the juice that tells us to remember and reflect on the fact that his blood was spilled for us. And that the message of communion is Jesus saying, this is how I pursue you all the way to a cross, all the way to sacrificing my body and spilling my blood. How will you pursue others? During this next time of worship, I hope that you'll take a moment 
eat the bread, drink the juice or the water, whatever you have. And remember that reconciliation is a big deal to Jesus. In fact, communion touches these three things. We remember what God has done for us. We recognize we cannot save ourselves. And we reconcile with God and with others. God bless.